Congressman Mike McCall struggled over what to do. A veteran Republican from Texas, he had voted to certify the Electoral College results that Joe Biden had won the November election, only to get his district office vandalized with protesters spraying it with the words, Swamp Traitor. He was, he says, appalled by President Trump's rhetoric at the January 6th rally that riled up the mob that assaulted the Capitol. In the end, after going back and forth, he voted against impeaching Trump, saying he was uncomfortable with the House rushing through such a historic move. But McCall also isn't letting the matter drop. He's formally asking the Justice Department to more fully investigate the president's conduct to determine if Trump took other steps to incite the riot at the Capitol and then failed to protect lawmakers when it was clear they were under attack. We'll talk to McCall about how he views the president he has long supported and his concerns about the growing domestic terror threat and the future of his party on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So I, uh, I think we've been eager to talk to Mike McCall for some time. He's a Republican from the Austin suburbs, a former federal prosecutor. Actually, he was chief of uh, the, uh, his office's uh, counterterrorism section. And he's one of those Republicans who has worked with Democrats, uh, been able to cross party lines. He's respected in the national security community. He was chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. So uh, he is a voice that is recognized and heard. And it was really interesting to learn about how he really uh, struggled over how to handle the impeachment question in the end. As I mentioned, he voted against impeaching the president, but he also has some pretty strong words to say about Trump's conduct, about leaders of his own party, and what he wants done now. And we're going to get into that in this, uh, in, in this interview. I mean, I, I can hear a lot of our listeners hearing this and, you know, once they hear the interview saying, well, come on, spare me the anguish, spare me the, the, uh, the hand wringing and the teeth gnashing. You know, at the end of the day, it was clear that Donald Trump is responsible for the violence that occurred on January 6th. But I think it's, it's um, I, thinking about this and I think it's complicated. I think it has to do with how people look at the impeachment process and how people look at this process president. If you look at it in kind of a vacuum and you're just determining, you know, what's my constitutional duty in an impeachment case, look at the facts, look at the evidence, decide whether there is enough for the equivalent of an indictment. You know, you can see his argument, you know, when Donald Trump gave that speech to uh, and, and to his supporters, he explicitly said, go up there peacefully, right? And so if you're trying to make a criminal case, it, it's hard to do that. But if you look at Donald Trump's 
conduct over the course of the last four years. And, you know, the dog whistles and the bullhorns and, you know, Charlottesville and all of the things that he has said to uh, rile up his supporters in such insidious and and dark ways. And then this big lie that he has perpetrated uh, since the election, that the election was stolen, it's hard to not see culpability. So I think it's a it's a kind of like how you look at this episode and how you look at this president that uh, affects how people ultimately made the, made the decision. But either way, you know, he's a thoughtful guy, and he says a lot of interesting things, um, not just about this case, but about his party, as you said. Right. And yeah, and let's remember, look, uh, you know, there's going to be a Republican Party after all this is done. And the question is, who are going to be its leaders? Who are going to be its spokesmen? Obviously, you know, a lot of these crazies who, uh, you know, refuse to accept the results of the election, who, uh, like Mo Brooks, uh, also incited that mob and, uh, you know, the QAnon supporters, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and this uh, woman from Colorado, Lauren Bobit, they've been marginalized and deserve to be marginalized. So the question is, is the Republican Party going to be the Matt Gateses of the world, or are they going to be the Mike McCalls of the world? And I think um, all of us have a big stake in it being the Mike McCalls of the world, even though, as you point out, a lot of our listeners are going to say, come on, man, you supported this president for a long time, and uh, you should have known what this was going to lead to. But let's hear from the congressman himself. We now have with us Congressman Michael McCall from Texas, Republican. Congressman, welcome to Skullduggery. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. So I want to start out by uh, just reviewing where you've been on the issues involving Donald Trump over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, You voted to certify the Electoral College vote, making Joe Biden the president. You put out a statement on Thursday saying you strongly condemn the president's rhetoric and his behavior and that he may well, and these are your words, may well have been committed impeachable offenses leading up to and on that tragic day, January 6th, and yet you voted not to impeach him. Why did you do so? Well, yeah, I'm a former federal prosecutor. I compared it to like indicting a case before presenting it to the grand jury. We had less than one day to process all the facts and evidence and make a a very solemn determination of a judgment call as to whether the uh, president was was guilty uh, to be impeached. I've called for a full and thorough investigation by the Justice Department. I'll have a a letter coming out of my office uh, Tomorrow, I I don't think this thing's going to end. I think there is going to be an ongoing criminal case into what happened on that tragic day. And I think that's going to be very important. And I also put in my statement that my greatest fear is that evidence will come out that would shed light on what happened that uh, may change my my thinking on impeachment. I gather this was not an easy decision. For you, uh, my understanding is you went back and forth the night before, and even throughout Thursday. Yeah, I took it very seriously and didn't take it lightly at all. And you know, Mike, what I found was that uh, we got back in town. We had less than twenty hours to make a decision, and I was literally calling you know, people I knew in the White House, trying to get information, answers to certain questions, and I just couldn't get the answers. And then I thought to myself, why am I conducting 
sort of this mini investigation on my own when Congress should be doing that as part of an impeachment process. And that's why I came to my conclusion or decision that uh, this was being done. It was a rushed process that we need all we need an investigation first and we need all the facts and evidence before us before we can really make this kind of decision. And I still stand by that. And I still will be asking tough questions about what happened that day. Congressman, let me pick up on um, both your calling for a Justice Department investigation and your sense that more evidence uh, might come out that would be concerning to you. You're talking about not just investigating the actual attack on Congress itself, but the president's conduct that led up to that attack, presumably, because that would be the impeachable offense. What specific kind of evidence are you looking to learn? Because, you know, you're, as you said, a former federal prosecutor. If the crime is sedition or um, incitement. Uh, inciting incitement, you know, there are elements to that crime you'd have to prove, like intent. What do you suspect? What are you looking for? How do you make a case like that as a prosecutor? Well, you know, his Twitter account's been shut down, so we didn't have any access to. I'd want to look at all the tweets out there. Would any of those rise to the level of incitement of of a a riot, if you will? But there's another uh, point that you have not mentioned, and I would go beyond the article that was filed by the Democrats and Pelosi. I'm interested in what actions were taken after the Capitol was breached. Once the president knew that the Capitol was under siege and really being invaded by domestic terrorists, what actions did the president specifically take to remedy that, that uh, you know, happening? You know, if it was Al-Qaeda attacking the Capitol, my God, uh, I would think the president would pull out all the stops to ensure that, that the National Guard was fully deployed and, and would stop this breach and this invasion of the Capitol. So I want to know, you know, what decisions were made, particularly when it comes to the National Guard, we know that the guard was delayed for hours. I don't know why. Why was it the vice president signed off on this and not the president of the United States? So I'm not, I don't know what happened because I can't get any answers. There are some material fact witnesses uh, in the White House, but also in Congress. You know, we had members of Congress on the phone with the president telling him, please tell these people to stop and please deploy the National Guard as soon as possible. Did you say, did you say, have you sought answers to those questions from the White House? I've, I've talked to various individuals, uh, both who are in or formerly in the White House, to try to get answers, and I could not get those answers. I also think that uh, uh, there are colleagues, uh, you know, in, in leadership that have had, had conversations with the president. Did you ask Kevin McCarthy about his conversation well, with the president? Well, he, he spoke at our conference Um I'll leave it at that. I, no, I did not get appropriate answers to that question. So I just want to be clear on this Justice Department investigation you're calling for, because the Justice Department is investigating the events of January 6th. They've got an active investigation. They're giving briefings. They've made arrests. So we know they're doing that. So it sounds like you are specifically asking for an investigation into the conduct of the president himself. You want the Justice Department to investigate Trump's conduct. Yes. Is I that mean, is that what you're calling for? I mean, they're investigating. I, I had a briefing with the FBI this morning. You know, my office in D.C., they, they tried to break my doors down 
they vandalized my office in, in, uh, back in Texas after I voted for certification, calling me a traitor. Swamp traitor is <laughs> what they spray painted on your Swamp office. Yeah. Swamp traitor. And if I could speak to that too, I, you know, my vote on that certification was based squarely on the Constitution. Congress does not have the power to overturn the state's electors. Our job is to certify the, the ballots and to ensure that they're authentic. You didn't have two slates coming in like 1870. You only had one slate from the states. Our job is to certify that they are authentic. We can't go beyond, behind that. And I think there was a bit of a tortured constitutional analysis going around that quite honestly was a false narrative that gave a false hope to these people that somehow Congress is gonna overturn this election. I hold those politicians responsible as well. But wait a second, Congressman, those are your Republican colleagues in the House, a majority of them, including the leadership, McCarthy and Scalise. They were the people who were pushing this. They endorsed it. They egged it on. So if what you say is you want to hold them responsible, you have to hold your own party's leadership in the House responsible. I think everybody should be responsible for their rhetoric. And maybe some people, I'm an attorney, so I, I understand the Constitution. I Maybe a lot of these people were, went down a road of taking this analysis uh, that was thrown out there that I believe was completely wrong. But I, I agree with you. I think the, the rhetoric out there that we were going to overturn the election, everybody knew that wasn't going to happen, by the way. And when the vice president came out, I think courageously, after a lot of browbeating with his statement that the Constitution does not allow me to reject the ballots and overturn the election, that is precisely when the, the mob got violent. If you look at the timeline of when that statement came out, when the violence started, it's, it's all in sync. And I think that was based on a false narrative, you know, whether it be, you know, people in the administration to people in the Congress, uh, House and Senate, with this, this sort of, again, a false premise that we were going to overturn the election. And it got them whipped up into a frenzy a lot of these people are not mentally stable. I saw them the morning of the of the invasion, and a lot of them in paramilitary, you know, uh, with zip ties and bear spray, uh, very sophisticated, some of them. But uh, yeah, I do blame the rhetoric. I think we need to calm it down. Uh, but it was all based on a lie, Mike, and that, that's my point. You know, Congressman, a letter from 30 of your Democratic House colleagues uh, went to the sergeant of arms of the Senate and the House and the acting chief of Capitol Police asking them to investigate whether some Republican House members gave access to some of these people who ended up involved in this attack on the Congress, uh, allowing them to do reconnaissance because they noticed a large number of visitors in the Capitol complex on the 5th. And to them, some of them look like some of the same people who might have been there in that in that insurrection on the 6th. Are you aware of that at all? Did you see any of those people on the 5th? Is that something that you're concerned about and you think should be investigated? Oh, it absolutely should be investigated. I don't have firsthand knowledge, only the reporting that I've seen. And it goes back to, again, why we need, I'd like to have a 9-11 style commission, you know, independent. Uh, I'd like to see a bipartisan commission in the Congress. I also want to see a Justice Department investigation into all these events. But, you know, if I have to base my decision on impeachment based upon anonymous sources and news articles, that's not evidence to me. Those aren't real facts. We didn't hear from one witness 
not one hearing, not one document, and we need to do that. And I think the Senate, when the Senate takes this up, I think you're going to see a perhaps more thorough analysis. I do think, as I put in my statement, you're also going to see more facts and evidence come to light that may be very concerning that I don't know right now in time. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point because, I mean, the, the analogy is that the House impeachment process is the grand jury indictment, the Senate is the jury that convicts, but there can be fact-finding between now and then. So you, we may get to a point where, where you may come out publicly and say the Senate ought to convict Donald Trump, right? Yeah, and my statement's very carefully crafted to give me the flexibility that if evidence comes to light in the future that I think does warrant impeachment, I, I think we have that option to say, okay, we believe that uh, the Senate should pursue a conviction. But again, without any of the facts in front of me, I, I don't really know. I did, you know, did he, you know, I, I don't think he did this, but if he told the National Guard to stand down, that would certainly be a concern. Yeah, I mean, the counter to that is that the president's statements that were the basis for the impeachment resolution were entirely public. We know exactly what he said. We know where he said it. We know when he said it. And we know what happened after. That's the basis for this resolution. If there were other actions even more damning afterwards, yes, we should all you know, get answers to that. But in plain sight, we know exactly what the president did. And you said in your own statement, you know, they were deserving of condemnation and may well have been impeachable. Yeah. So why, I, what, so why do you need more, I guess, is my well, question. Well, I, I think, look, if, you know, and I didn't have been 20 hours, I didn't have a chance to go through all of his you know, personal or his tweets that were out there. You know, if he says march down Pennsylvania Avenue, that's a, like protest. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if he said go down and burn the Capitol, well, that's another thing. But well, he said, I, you come to Washington and, go, and be wild, I think. was Yeah, his, be wild. OK, yeah. Well, I mean, right. uh, you know. As a prosecutor, am I going to indict somebody for incitement of violence on Be Wild? I mean, and this is a president that's known for his hyperbole and exaggerations. And we all get the, we get the drill with this guy, with the president. But I just think we need more time to examine this. And we weren't given that uh, due process that I think, you know, we all uh, and even the, you know, the president should be afforded uh, in this case. Going back to the. Um, the tours of the Capitol. Um, I've seen video of these paramilitary guys with a sort of model of the Capitol in some hotel venue where they're literally planning an insurrection. That's the kind of stuff I want to see investigated. You know, the FBI has had now 70, I think, arrests, uh, and you're going to see a lot more. But that I also want to see what were the internal deliberations in the White House after the when the attack occurred. What steps were taken to protect members of Congress and the Capitol Police after? Now, when it comes to the National Guard, we know the Capitol Police chose not to invoke them because they didn't want to, quote unquote, militarize uh, the Capitol city. What role did Nancy Pelosi play in that? You know, my leadership says they didn't get any guidance from on that issue. Uh, I know they present that to the speaker. In my judgment, we should have had the Guard pre-positioned as an asset that could readily deploy from unseen locations, like we do at the inauguration. It's a national security event. That was not done. And had that been done, once they breached the Capitol and started getting in, the Guard could have stopped it. 
and that didn't happen. We're really darn lucky that members of Congress were not taken out. I mean, we had not a single member killed, and it's unfortunate we had a Capitol Police officer killed, but it could have been a lot worse given the arsenal of weapons that they had going in. You were the uh, chairman of the Homeland Security Committee for, I think, three uh, terms in, in Congress. And there's been a lot of discussion in recent days about do we need a domestic terrorism law to investigate the kinds of folks that did this? You know, when you were chairman of Homeland Security, everybody was focused on foreign terrorism threats, Al-Qaeda, and later ISIS. But were you attuned to the threat of domestic terrorism? And do we need legislation? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Mike. <clears throat> we studied this issue pretty intensely when I chaired Homeland. Um, uh, after 9-11, the Terrorism Prevention Act we, you know, was passed into law, and it defined international terrorism and also defined domestic terrorism. However, the difference was there are no charges or penalties for domestic terrorism as they were more focused on al-Qaeda, as you mentioned, and radical Islamist uh, overseas groups and within the United States. So that delineates uh, the, the specific groups of terrorist, radical Islamist terror groups and others uh, within it. Uh, when you get to domestic terrorism, you get into um, control of thought, political thought, so it gets a little more dicey to delineate the groups, but there's no reason. At the end of the day, my analysis was, but we can still create a domestic terrorism charge, and we can put penalties in line with the uh, international terrorism penalties. So, you know, my bill that I introduced with some others to the Domestic Terrorism Penalties Act would provide, and I, and I worked very closely with the FBI on this, and I wanted to make sure that they were supportive, and they told me they were very, very supportive of this. When you look at domestic terror groups, you're, you're really getting into more of the, uh, and I asked the FBI that, this question this morning, who were these people at the Capitol? I mean, some of them were legitimate Trump supporters, but you had QAnon there, you had the Proud Boys there, you have all these militias there, white supremacy groups. And this, this is opening up a whole new chapter in terrorism cases, I think. And I think you're gonna see it, particularly after what happened at the Capitol, a very much a big momentum to get this bill passed and afford our law enforcement and prosecutors the ability to charge under domestic terrorism with penalties as high as life imprisonment or the death penalty. So just so I understand, are, are you proposing a domestic terrorism statute that would categorize certain politically motivated violence as domestic terrorism? Or are you talking about designating certain groups as domestic terrorists? How would this actually work? No, I don't think we can. Um, and that's the FBI's caution me strongly that we can't go down that road with domestic cases because now you're within the United States under the United States Constitution. People have the right to political thought under the First Amendment. And you can't go down a road where you're you're penalizing political thought, but we can penalize domestic terrorism, which was defined after 9-11. So simply what the FBI could do is just, you know, they open cases. They can open cases today as a domestic terrorist case. They just don't have the ability to charge or seek the penalties for it. This would enable them, when they open the domestic terrorism case, uh, the ability to both charge and seek penalties for that terrorist act. I understand that in your uh, 
deliberations about what to do about the impeachment vote, you did speak to Liz Cheney, who um, surprised a lot of people with her very forceful statement. Uh, can you tell us a little about your conversation with um, Liz Cheney? You know, we were all very concerned about the, what happened that day and the fact scenario that a president could energize a group of, I'll call them domestic terrorists, because that's what they did, to go to the Capitol, invade it, and kill a Capitol police officer is, is frightening. And um, I think, uh, you know, I would give Liz great credit for being courageous. I just didn't have the information I thought necessary to make that determination. She uh, was, in her view, just the incitement clause was enough for her. I wanted to know what happened after the Capitol was attacked. And, um, but I will say before that, Liz was the only voice of reason, I thought, in leadership in terms of what the Constitution provides on Congress's role to certify an election. And that this is way out of bounds and a dangerous precedent. If Congress is going to start overturning state electors, what kind of precedent does that set? And, you know, what if, you know, you're, you're giving that tool to Pelosi. Now, she exercised that in 2005 and, and 2016. But and my colleagues cite that, but two wrongs don't make a right. And it's, it's, it was unconstitutional to think that Congress is going to overturn the election. The founding fathers are very clear. They did not want Congress electing the president. They wanted to divest that authority to the states and to decentralize power out of Washington to the states, giving them the ability to certify their electors. And Congress's role is to count to authenticate and to count the votes. It's not our job to dig in second guess and overturn ballots. And I think that was greatly distorted. Liz was really a voice of reason on this, providing some leadership, I think, on, on this issue. Congressman, you mentioned before that one of your district offices in Texas was vandalized after you voted to certify the election. Other members of Congress have received death threats. Some have been accosted at airports and, and on the street. Do you think that the, the fear of bodily harm and, and even death may, first of all, may have influenced any of the votes yesterday in the, in the impeachment vote? But more generally, I mean, are you concerned that in, in, in this atmosphere of fear and, and intimidation, it could have a negative impact on members' ability to carry out their responsibilities according to their conscience and their constitutional duties? Well, you know, uh, John Kennedy wrote a book called Profiles and Courage. There's a reason why that book's really a small book. <laughs> there aren't a whole lot of them. And I would argue that there were profiles and courage uh, through this experience, some willing to put their lives on the line for the Constitution itself. And um, I think the, the ones that did, I have greater respect for. And the ones who hid out of fear, where were they when the, when the mob invaded the Capitol? Where was the courage then? They were running. They were hiding. There was no courage in that. And, I'm sorry, um, who, who, who are you talking about? I mean, I don't mean I, names, but they're- well, I think this, you know, this, this, you know, this memo, this legal analysis that gave our members a pass to vote, to object to the certified ballots from the states, in my view is completely, from a legal standpoint, incorrect. It gave our members a pass to say, oh, I'm following the Constitution to object to these uh, votes being that have been certified by the states. 
and yeah, granted, many of them they don't they're not attorneys, they don't understand the Constitution. But the the people that wrote that memo, they know the Constitution, and they know, and they know better. And the the senators who are leading the charge, Ted Cruz. I mean, You're there's been talk about, talk, Texas, about uh, talk about Ted Cruz, uh, you know, being on the Supreme Court, and Josh Hawley, who's a, uh, I guess, a Yale Law School graduate. I think they knew better. You know, Chip Roy, who was Ted Cruz's, you know, chief for many years, really led the charge in favor of the Constitution on this one. And I, I again, someone who I have tremendous respect for now, that you know, we didn't always see eye to eye on things, but what when he came forward with his analysis of the Constitution. It's really crystal clear what the role of Congress is. And for, for people that know better to argue that, and I, with respect to my senator, I don't, he very cleverly calls for this commission rather than defending this, uh, somehow that Congress has a role to overturn the election. Uh, and I think he very cleverly led the charge, but led it under the, under the auspices of this commission that he wanted, um, that obviously didn't, he couldn't do that in 10 days. Which, which, by the way, that was such a preposterous proposal, the idea that you could set up a 10-day emergency commission to investigate all these absurd allegations of fraud, which, by the way, no U.S. attorney thought had any validity, no FBI agent even thought there was grounds for an investigation, no judge thought had any validity. I mean, it is almost mind-boggling the level of absurdity to a proposal like that. Is is Cruz going to pay a political price for this in Texas? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let the uh, people of the state of Texas and people of America answer that question. But but I do think we have to be careful in our rhetoric, and we have to be careful when we shop legal analysis of the Constitution that we know does not have merit, what the consequences could be. And the people will decide on that. There have been consequences for those who chose not to certify. And I think after the Capitol was attacked, the game was the game was off. You know, it was no longer like fun and games on the House and Senate floor anymore. It was serious stuff and people died because of it. And our sacred dome of democracy was vandalized in the worst way we've seen in the history of the Congress or since the British invaded in 1812. And so, um, you know, it's not, you know, this, you know, get on the floor for five minutes to debate. I mean, really? Or some of the, the uh, rhetoric spewed and that I saw in the Senate as well. I thought McConnell, you talk about a profile in courage. I thought his speech on the Senate floor was probably one of the best I've seen of him. And he said, you know, this is the most important vote of my career. And he's been in for a long time. And he was right because we were getting ready to interpret the Constitution in a way that our founding fathers did not design it to be. And there were those of us who stood up for what our founding fathers intended rather than some tortured analysis of it that would just provide political expediency for certain people in the population. I, I think that was wrong. What do you think more generally about the direction of your party? You know, the fact that it has become it is becoming a kind of, um, and you know, I don't want to exaggerate it, but still, to some extent, it is becoming a kind of a safe haven for members, you know, with QAnon leanings who espouse 
conspiracy theories who peddle disinformation. I'm thinking of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia or Lauren uh, Bulbert of, of Colorado. How much of a concern is that for you in terms of the direction of the party? Well, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned. I voted to label QAnon as a terrorist organization. I mean, that's my position. Is, is that a part of the Republican Party I know? Absolutely not. These people, I don't know where they came from. I, you know, I was talking to you know, some county chairman in my, you know, like Washington County, Texas, and they're like, who are these people? Who were those people at the, at the Capitol? Those are not the Republicans that we know. And they didn't even know what QAnon was. And I, you know, I have to educate them. I think this deception out there that is all over the internet, that somehow Antifa was, was behind this, when we know clearly from the FBI that's not the case, this is where leadership comes into play. And leaders have to lead. And we have to tell the American people the truth and not let them lead us. We have to stand up and tell them what, be honest, be truthful about what are the facts here and not run under a rock for cover because it scares you. I think we get, this is a time to be strong and stand up as a leader and say, you know, that wasn't QAnon. These are domestic terrorist groups. I don't think it represents the Republican party either. And certainly moving forward, we're gonna have to have a long talk and some soul searching about our party if we're gonna identify ourselves with these types of people. That is not the Republican Party I signed up for. President Trump is going to leave office on Wednesday. How will he be remembered? You know, he had a great record of accomplishment. Uh, he came in, he destroyed ISIS within a year. He uh, stood up to China, first president I've seen in my lifetime. He rebuilt the military. He created the Space Force. He did Operation Warp Speed, which gave us a vaccine in Warp Speed time in eight months. He had so many, and then the Tax Cut and Jobs Act got the economy one of the strongest we've seen in my lifetime. He had a lot of good accomplishments. I'm worried that he squandered all of that in the last month by his behavior over the election. Worried and that he did or did he? The legacy will be damaged by what was done this last month while he was in office. And really to me, that's a shame because I worked with him on a lot of these issues that we're talking about. And we did some great things for the country. And he has a great record of accomplishment that he could be talking about. And it's unfortunate that we're ending it on this note. But yet his character flaws that led to this debacle were always there, were there from the get-go. And his violation of norms, uh, his uh, his refusal to accept you know, sort of basic principles like the independence of the Justice Department and um, the sort of chaotic nature of the way he ran the White House. All that has been clear for quite some time. Well, then I would argue, Mike, uh, that is precisely why he got elected is because people liked his unconventional style. He wasn't a politician. They're, they were tired of politicians, you know, just saying the same same old worn out phrases. And he was very, very unorthodox to say the least. Uh, well, I don't think we, I don't think history has ever seen anything like him as president of the United States, for sure. But I think that's what drew, um, that's what attracted a lot of people to him. I think he would have served himself better in the last month had he been more of a stand up class act and talked about his accomplishments. 
and led to the peaceful transition of power that we're always uh, so proud of as, as a nation, as a democracy. And so um, history will judge him. But was it, wasn't he always playing with fire, flirting, you know, with his rhetoric, uh, flirting with, you know, some of these white nationalists, uh, uh, white supremacist groups, what happened at Charlottesville? I mean, wasn't that always a, a danger? Wasn't it always a danger that it was going to lead to January 6th? Yeah, um, I, I, you know, that that's a part of this. Uh, if You know, QAnon's part, not part of my Republican Party. And I don't cater to them. Don't depend on them to get elected. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I think he could have handled the um, protests over the summer with Black Lives Matters. You know, I did an op ed with uh, my Houston mayor, Democrat, African-American. Had he taken a position that, you know, kind of a, a high moral ground position, kind of we referred it to what uh, Robert Kennedy did in 1968 when he talked about what the country needs now is not violence and not killing. What the country need, needs now is to heal as a nation. And I think if he'd been a little more empathetic, which I don't think is in his DNA, but <laughs> yeah. a little more- It's not how he rolls. Violent, <laughs> not punch him back at every turn, but say, yeah. we need to come together and heal as a nation and not resort to QAnon to defend it. I, I do think that could have been, I think that was a factor in his, his uh, one of the reasons he may have lost the election. And I think the law and order issue was very strong. Uh, and it very much helped me in my reelection when they want to defund the police. Most Americans don't want that. And, and I think that's why we almost got the majority back in the House of Representatives. Um, last question. You mentioned you've been briefed by the FBI. Uh, how worried are you about uh, next week's inauguration and what could happen? Uh, in well, the, the thing to be comfort is it's a Secret Service national security event. And Mike, you know what that means. Uh, that means there's going to be a lot of fortified I mean, we have 15,000 National Guard here in Washington. To put that in perspective, that's three times the amount we have deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan right now, right at the nation's capital. And I know the Secret Service, they're very professional, and I know they're going to do a good job. Is there going to be violence on the 20th? I don't know. I think there's a high probability uh, that there will, but hopefully it's on a small scale and not what you saw on January uh, the 6th. Uh, but I am concerned about other capitals and across the country. And I'm concerned that this could have a lifespan. Um, there's also a, a militia man, million man militia march on January 17th. And we're very worried about that as well. And that could, that could happen all across the country too. So that's very much um, on our radar right now. Well, something for us all to be uh, concerned about. Congressman, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on Skullduggery and uh, stay safe. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks for having okay. me.